Welcome to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. Now, Equipping the Persecuted is a true boots-on-the-ground ministry. In fact, they are right now completing an orphanage that is designed to go and to take care of those who have been whose parents have been martyred for the cause of Christ in Nigeria. They've already finished completing a school this year that was is for Nigerians, Christians, who have been displaced from their home because of Muslim attacks over there. They're working on going and building more alarm towers to go into alert uh, villages when the village is being attacked by radical Muslims. I mean, it is an incredible ministry, and of course, everything they do, they present the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins their transgression against God's law. He was buried, proving he was dead, and he rose again on the third day to provide a way of salvation for any and all who would believe. That is the message and the goal of Equipping the Persecuted, and you can find out more at equippingthepersecuted.org. Once again, that's equippingthepersecuted.org. I'm Pastor Sam, and in today's show, we're going to be talking about the abortion culture that is within the United States, the abortion culture that is within the United States. But before we get into that, we want to hear from you. Please email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Once again, it's equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. And let us know what you think about our show. Let us know what questions you have and any feedback that you have for us. But we want you to also let us know what you think about the abortion culture within the United States. Email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. As I mentioned, today we're going to be talking about the abortion culture that is within the United States. Now, before we get into this abortion culture, I just want to set the stage for you because as to why I'm talking about this today, it's because of what is going on and what the hot topics are in our culture right here and right now in the United States. Right now, it's all about shootings. I mean, where where I live just a a couple weeks ago here, you had a shooting just about an hour and a half away, a church shooting over in Ames, Iowa, Cornerstone Church. Of course, uh, you you know, a few weeks or a week or so before that, you had the big school shooting uh, down in Texas. And we've got all these these shootings. It seems like a new school shooting or, or a church shooting or some kind of a shooting every single week. Now, when it comes to this, of course, this brings up the, the, the topic of gun control, but also you have going on this whole talk about Roe uh, versus Wade being overturned and the big pro-life debate as to, to whether or not abortion should be legal or whether it shouldn't be legal. This is, these are the battles that are going through, but I want you to understand something here. The mass shootings that we are having and we are seeing today, not just the mass shootings, but a whole host of other things as well that we see in our culture today can be directly tied to abortion. In fact, I want to make the case for you today that if you want to see less school shootings, if you want to see less church shootings, less mass shootings, less uh, all of that kind of thing going on, that probably the biggest thing legally that you need to be working on isn't gun control laws. In fact, I think that if we do gun control laws, we're actually going to see more shootings or at least more murders happen. 
in the United States. I, I remember just a few years ago, my wife and I, we had the, the wonderful honor and privilege to go to Ireland. We went there uh, for our fifth anniversary, and it was it was great, but it was during a time when, of course, there, there were no guns at that point, but they were starting to do like a collection and, and kind of a, a willing collection on, on knives. Why? Because if you take away guns, people, killers are still going to find ways to kill people, right? And of course, they, they, they find their way to do that with, with knives. And so I think it was even in England that they were doing like knife bands and things like that. And I always wondered, like, are, are you supposed to go in and take like your steak knife or your butter knife? I mean, which knives are okay, which knives aren't okay? Uh, just seems like a whole ridiculous thing. But, but many people want to come out and say, okay, the way to stop these school shootings, the way to stop the church shootings, the way to stop these mass shootings is to go into have gun control laws. Common sense gun control is what they're always saying, you know. Uh, in fact, you'll hear many pastors, and, and if you do hear this, you need to run from this church, but you'll hear many pastors go around saying, you know, I don't have an answer, but we have to do something. Let me tell you something. Wisdom is never rooted in ignorance. So you can say as soon as you can know, as soon as they say, we have to, or we have to do something, but I don't know what the answer is, but we have to do something. As soon as they say, I don't know what the answer is, you can know they're about to say something foolish because it is rooted in ignorance. But the legal thing that you need to be working on most if you want to end these school shootings is not gun control laws. Rather, it's ending abortion. It's ending abortion. And this is because we live in what can be described as an abortion culture. Now, I was first introduced to this term of abortion culture by a man named Phil Haney. Now, you might have heard of Phil Haney. Uh, he was a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security in 2002. He's the co-author of See Something, Say Nothing, um, and he really was an expert on exposing Islam and the radical jihadists that were coming in and trying to take over and to attack the United States, so much so that he basically got put on the shelf by the Obama administration and just kind of locked away in a closet for the last like year of his tenure uh, while he worked for the U.S. government. But Phil Haney also made news a few years ago uh, because he died. In fact, if you go and you look up the reports, it'll say stuff like, Phil Haney killed himself. Now, I know that this is not the case. Phil Haney didn't kill himself. I personally knew Phil, uh, not just from going and hearing him in person, but I spoke with him at the Stand Against Marxism conference, and uh, he carried around my my son, calling him Pee-wee, uh, but, and this was just a few months before he killed himself, and, and it was there at that conference. He was interviewed for the documentary film Enemies Within the Church. Uh, you may have seen Phil also from the first, uh, well, from that documentary, but also from the first uh, installment of that, of that series, Enemies Within, uh, which really goes and discusses the enemies that are within our government and enemies within the church, of course, enemies within the church. But, but Phil Haney didn't go and kill himself. In fact, he told uh, after the interview uh, took place. He, he told this to the director and also uh, the face of the film, Pastor Kerry Gordon. He told them, uh, look, if they ever say that I committed suicide, just know that I didn't. He knew that there was danger that was in his life, but he presented this idea that America is in an abortion culture. Now, why can we say that America is in an abortion culture or is in a, is in a 
in abortion culture. It's because we've murdered like over 70 million babies. If you go and you start to count up the chemical abortions that haven't been reported and the the, the estimates that are there, maybe even more than that. That might's probably on the the the, the low side since 1973. We've we've murdered over 70 million babies. We've shed just an incredible amount of innocent blood. Just kill after kill after kill after kill. And of course, we've gone and we've taken this person who has the image of God stamped on them. And we've gone and we've let politicians, scientists, lawyers, and your neighbor, and, and perhaps even you, go and say that, that this is just a blob of cells. It's just a blob of cells. There's nothing important to it. There's nothing inherent to it. It's, it's just a blob of cells when in reality it is a living soul that has the image of God stamped upon that person. Wow. We've done that. And we've done that 70 million times in America since 1973. We've, we've eliminated essentially an entire generation since 1973. And because we've done that, it has desensitized us as a culture to taking innocent blood. And because we've been desensitized to this, it has had an incredible, an incredible impact and many implications. And we're going to keep talking about this here. In fact, I've got four principles that I really want us to go and to understand as to what this does to us to live in an abortion culture in America and how it has worked and the things that it has done. But we first need to take a quick break, so stick with us here. We're going to be right back. There is a crisis happening in Nigeria. Christians are being murdered and driven from their homes at the hands of Muslim terrorists. Galatians 6.10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Equipping the Persecuted is a mission organization that helps persecuted Christians in Nigeria by sending aid directly to persecuted Christians in need. When a Christian village is attacked, Equipping the Persecuted is there to respond with food, medical aid, and materials to rebuild their churches and communities. Equipping the Persecuted has boots on the ground ready to respond to an emergency. Within 48 hours of an attack, our team is there to help those in need. Prayerfully consider a monthly donation to help impact and save the lives of persecuted Christians. Equipping the Persecuted doesn't just raise awareness about persecution or just talk about it. They take action. Visit EquippingThePersecuted.org and donate today. God's Word tells us that righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Truly, sin is a mark of America today. Every second, 28,000 people are watching pornography. Since 1973, over 65 million babies have been slaughtered on the altar of convenience through abortion, and 70% of millennials are likely to vote for a socialist. Sin truly abounds and is a reproach to our nation. But how do we get back on track and be exalted by God once again? Hi, I'm Pastor Sam Jones, and I've written a new book that traces the steps of America's fall and gives us a road to redemption. It's called 
Five Steps to Kill a Nation, and How to Stop the Bleeding. You can get a copy of the book at theshininglightministries.com. Welcome back to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. I'm your host, Pastor Sam, and we want to hear from you. Please email us over at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Once again, that's equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. And, and, and let us know what you think. In fact, let us know what you think about this abortion culture that we live in. Well, now, we know, we know absolutely 100% that at the moment of conception, whether it's by science, whether it's by uh, legal precedent and in, in, in admittance to this, that at the moment of conception, that is a living human being. And of course, we know because of the word of God that that living human being has a soul and that they are made in the image of God. And yet, we have chosen to go and to murder 70 million children. In fact, I mean, there's been some pushback in the American culture, but you know, not a ton, not enough, not as much as is what would be said. In fact, it used to be said, it used to be said that you could go and, and you know, you, you'd have somebody come up and they would start preaching or, or a pro-life speaker and they would go out here and they would start speaking on the issue of why abortion's wrong. And they'd say, you need to treat it like it's a five-year-old, like they're murdering five-year-olds. And that would get people fired up to go do something. But the problem is, is that now today, even in the culture that we live in, we live in such an abortion culture that over in California, they're debating legislation that some would argue that the legislation that they're debating, if it goes through, would allow children up to be aborted or murdered up to eight years old. And you heard that right, up to eight years old. I was just talking to a friend of mine who's very politically involved, uh, very much in all of this. Shout out to Jeff Dornick uh, over at Freedom First Network. You should go and check them out. And, and, and he told me, that this is this legislation, because I said, what, I mean, up to like three months old after birth? I mean, this is ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous that, that, that any of these would happen. And he goes, no, it's worse than that. Depending on the, the legality of this word, if you go and you look at it, some people are, are believing that this could mean up to eight years old. Now, of course, if you talk to a liberal, they'll go and say, no, nobody wants that. That's crazy. But it's actually not crazy because the author of bioethics or the inventor, the founder of bioethics, the author of situation ethics— Joseph Francis Fletcher, who worked with Margaret Sanger, the founder of Planned Parenthood, because he was a big eugenicist who also wanted to go and murder children, he actually did argue and believe that you could murder a child up to eight years old and it still be considered just abortion, just nothing. They're not really a person yet. So it's actually not ridiculous. This is actually uh, what was being argued in the 1960s and the 1970s and the 1980s by some of the thought leaders that all of the liberals are going and following. So it's absolutely not ridiculous. But I want to talk to you a little bit about this abortion culture that we live in. See, there are, there are four principles that I really want us to understand and to see what this abortion culture really goes and leads us to. The first is the, a, there's a desensitization, okay? We're desensitized, right? We, we, and we really are. This is, this is why one of the strategies that comes up uh, that, that some people employ to try to wake Americans up and to wake Christians up specifically is that they show pictures of aborted 
children, of murdered children who have their arms and legs ripped off and their bodies mutilated. And, and people don't like that. But why is that a useful tool? And why do some people use that? It's not because they just want to gross people out or, or make people uncomfortable. Well, it is that they want to make them uncomfortable, but it's because you have become so desensitized to the shedding of innocent blood that you really need to have it confront you in the face in order for you to really see it and to understand. You see, when people become desensitized, they're no longer horrified at what is truly horrible. If you hear of a tragedy, in fact, you do hear of tragedy after tragedy after tragedy, death after death, and murder after murder, but the question is, is does it really shake you? Does it do anything to you? Does it shake you to your core? In America's abortion culture, we move on from mass shooting to the next, and we're simply glad that we weren't in the wrong place at the wrong time. For a moment or two, we, we might have thoughts about how sad the events were and things like that, but practically, there's no time that we spend on this, and we just move ahead without ever thinking again about those who lost their lives in one way or another. In fact, we just go on, buy a new mocha, uh, sip our coffee, and, and say, hey, uh, you know, I'm just going to continue to go on with my day. Oh man, that was sad. There, there's no true national mourning anymore. You know, there, there were times in the early parts of our nation, in the early founding of our nation, where, where George Washington, John Adams, even Thomas Jefferson would go and call for national fasts and times of repentance. Isn't this the time that we need this? A time to go and to mourn for our nation's iniquity, the shame of our nation, and yet most of us just go through our life like we really don't care, just another ho-hum day. Why? Because we're desensitized. We live in an abortion culture. We're part of the abor abortion culture. We are desensitized. The next thing that this leads to, it, it, after being widespread for so long, is that it brings to a proliferation of the devaluing of human life. This means that people aren't seen as having inherent value but rather just a utilitarian type. I mean, what can they do for me? You know, uh, JFK said it wasn't, it's not what, what, uh, what um, your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. But we've actually flipped the, the, that, that completely on its head. And we view people as, as 100%, what can others do for me? What can my nation do for me? What can my neighbors do for me? And if there's no value in them uh, because they're not doing anything for me and I don't want to do anything for them, then why should I care? If they die, this is that whole idea of this proliferation that has happened. If babies can be dismembered and murdered in the womb, then isn't it legitimate to refuse to sacrifice to meet the needs of other people? I don't have to sacrifice anymore because people can be sacrificed for my needs, so I don't have to give of myself. I no longer have to be a good neighbor. I no longer have to be a good citizen. I no longer have to care about those who are around me. People who've already been born and who uh, may even have been around for some time, I just, I just don't even care about them anymore. That's, that's how we can get to this point of potentially talking about murdering eight-year-olds over in California, uh, or even if you want to just believe the left's narrative, like three months after they're born. That's, that's for sure their narrative. If you want to go and say, you know, that eight-year-old stuff, I, I don't believe that anybody's arguing that. Well, fine. They're still talking about going and killing three-month-olds. It's, an, it's ridiculous. If a woman can end the life of her child simply because she finds it inconvenient to care for him, 
or it's the wrong time in her life to have a child, then doesn't it make sense that adult children can find legitimate reasons to not sacrifice or to care for their aging parents? To just say, I don't care. It, it, it proliferates this whole idea of the abortion culture. It brings a pro proliferation. The third thing I want us to see here is that there's an intensification. There's an intensification that comes here with the abortion culture. An intensification. And in this intensification, we see that there is an attitude that sees having to meet the healthcare and life uh, needs of others as being in the way. So it's no longer just that I don't have to do it. That's the proliferation. So people are desensitized. Then they say, you know what, I don't have to care for my neighbor. But then beyond that here, there's an intensification of all of this where they say, you know what, not only do I not have to care for my neighbor, but when my neighbor is no longer useful to me, they're in the way. In fact, it's hindering the advancement of society. And this ends up fueling the euthanasia movement. The euthanasia movement. It ends up fueling the euthanasia movement, uh, which presents itself as promoting death with dignity and things like that. Yet it's all about treating people, it's, it isn't at all, excuse me, about treating people with respect or dignity. Instead, it's about making arrangements for people to get out of the way so that others' selfish needs can happen. See, see this is one thing I've often thought about. The generation that, uh, that, that first came up with abortion, that aborted their children and, and aborted their children in mass. The response of that is that the survivors of those of that generation, because their literal peers, their siblings, didn't have any value of life, and their parents taught them, your peers, your siblings don't have any value of life. We could have chosen to take it. The power was in our hand. It was about convenience for me. Well, the children that grew up learning that they have now grown up and they're going to be making end of life decisions about their parents. Now, see, I was a chaplain at a nursing home for about two years and, and in that time saw several deaths, but there's one that really stuck out to me. And I was, I was 19 years old. This is the first time I've, I had really seen this. I didn't really understand what was going on at the time. Uh, I, I wish I would have. So I wish I would have stood up and, and, and thrown a fit. I, I remember going and asking about this because something just didn't seem right. And there was this, this lady, uh, older lady who, uh, she was walking around being fine. She'd get sick every, every once in a while and she'd kind of go crazy. She'd get a urinary tract infection and then she would go crazy and she'd start talking about tunnels, uh, under the nursing home and things like that. Uh, she was QAnon before QAnon. It was kind of an amazing thing, I guess, when I know that I think about it, but, but she ended up getting, uh, getting her, this urinary tract infection and her kids who never came to visit her. And I remember going and visiting her in the hospital and she wasn't doing well, but she was only in the hospital for a little bit of time before I got the news that they put her on uh, hospice and, and life support and they gave up. And I'm going, what are you talking about? Well, the kids just decided to make a decision. They were only going to try for 24 hours with antibiotics and then they were just going to make her comfortable drug her and she probably starved to death is really in all honesty how she died. And, and how sad is that? But there, there are hundreds and thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of stories that could probably be told 
just like that. And it is a response to a generation that grew up being taught that their peers and their siblings had no value and that they, in fact, didn't have any value until who knows what age. We, we don't really know because it's an arbitrary thing that they're choosing because it is this abortion culture. And because they lived in this, they're saying, you know what? Well, my parents, it's no longer convenient to have my parents around. It's time to just pull the plug and let them die. This is the intensification of the abortion culture that we live in today, folks. Euthanasia is huge. There is this big death with dignity movement, which is just a fancy way of saying, let's go kill people when they get in our way. The final thing that happens within this abortion culture is a really interesting one. It's a generalization. It's a generalization, and a generalization of devaluing of human life and one of the, the biggest manifestations that you can see in this whole with the abortion culture is the growing environmental movement that elevates animal and plant life while the importance of human life is diminished. In fact, I remember a, a few years ago, the ERLC, the Ethics and Religious Liberties Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, accidentally, quote-unquote, put out a video. In fact, I think the only reason they said it was accidental was because it ended up, you know, not going over very well. But they put out this video where this uh, guy goes in, he starts talking about how in order to be pro-life, it's not so much about caring for babies. It's about caring for animals. Don't you know it's about really just caring for the dogs? I know some of you really like your dogs and you're, you got your chihuahua in your purse or whatever you got driving around with you and you think that, 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 that don't go after my dogs or, or my cats. And I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I love dogs and cats. I think they taste really good. I've been to both Mexican and Chinese restaurants. But, but the reality of it is, is that neither one of them were made in the image of God. Neither one of them were made in the image of God. And as they're not made in the image of God, that means they really have no business to be part of our pro-life doctrine. We can't generalize this thing out to go into say, look, you need to care about plants. You need to care about the environmental movement. You need to go into, to, to be about the new green deal that's really pro-life. That's what people like to go into say. In fact, this is a, a really big deal. I remember watching an interview of Mark Dever and Jonathan Lehman over at Nine Marks and uh, Capitol Hill Baptist Church uh, over in Washington, D.C., uh, the, these two men, uh, going in and doing an interview, and they were talking about who you could vote for as a Christian. Now, m might I tell you here, it's come out since then that Mark Dever is a registered Democrat, which surprised a lot of people, uh, but it didn't surprise me because I had seen this interview where they're going and talking, and Mark Dever goes and asks Jonathan Lehman about uh, who we can vote for in this, the idea of single-issue voter, uh, single voters. Now, let me tell you here, I believe that there are a whole lot more issues than just life. But let me tell you, if you can't get life right, I don't trust you on anything else. If you believe that my life doesn't have value or my children's life doesn't have value or my wife's life doesn't have value or my neighbor's life doesn't have value or my pre-born neighbor's life doesn't have value, why in the world would I trust you to make decisions with finances? That doesn't make any sense. But Mark Dever asked Jonathan Lehman, about this single-issue voting idea. And Jonathan Lehman said, you know, it, it, that's a really bad way to vote because you can be both pro-life and not be for somebody who's in the womb. You know, be pro-life because you're, you're pro-somebody who's on the other side of the border. And that's just as pro-life. Now, this is a generalization. 
Because last I knew, the border, of course, that they're talking about is our southern border in the United States. They're talking about over in, in Mexico. N nobody, nobody's going around just shooting and killing people in Mexico. Or let me put it more in the way that it should be described to talk about this. Nobody's going around ripping them limb from limb, drawn quartering them or injecting them with poison like we're doing to our preborn neighbor. There's a big difference between quality of living and living at all, right? There's a big difference in that. Oh, well, it's, it's good that you would go and murder your child so that your child didn't have to grow up in poverty. Do you know how many people grew up in poverty and ended up doing miraculous and incredible things with their life? Just some incredible people. You, you, you know, I'm from Iowa. One of the, the, the people I think of uh, is, is George Washington Carver. Don't have time to really get into his story, but, but, but he's a man who was, was born to a slave. Of course, born in poverty. Ends up being one of the, you wouldn't have peanut butter without George Washington Carver. I know that that might sound kind of funny, but really he, he, he did incredible things with peanuts. He was an incredible botanist. But today we live in an abortion culture in America and you need to wake up. You need to wake up. You need to get out of the stupor and you need to see what is happening all around you. You need to go in to look at the need of your preborn neighbor. If you care about these school shootings, if you care about these mass shootings, the greatest political thing that you can do is to push for an absolute ending of abortion, an uh, abolition, an abolishment of abortion so that we can value human life once again in our nation. Thank you for listening to Equipping the Persecuted Radio. Remember, Equipping the Persecuted Radio is sponsored by Equipping the Persecuted. We want to hear from you. Let us know what you think about this episode. Email us at equippingthepersecuted at gmail.com. Once again, I'm your host, Pastor Sam. Keep standing for the truth.